Wonderful. So, uh, where's Bernard gone? Okay. To the left. Okay. <laughs> well, we were blessed to have a time with Bernard this morning and Hazel and a group of us who met in a village hall here locally. And uh, and then I know Bernard and Hazel had to Zoom, well, had to, I shouldn't say Zoom, but had to rush back for another Zoom session with the brothers and sisters from Malaysia. And uh, so I hope that was a, a blessing as well, Bernard. And uh, and now we're um, thrilled to gather again together this evening. So bless you as you share. May the Lord give you strength to continue to pour out. I mean, I hope so, Mark. <laughs> Do you know, uh, on my 70th birthday, which was uh, a good number of years ago now, um, one of the brothers, they, it, brother. it, we happened to be in in Malaysia and the, the folks in Malaysia love birthday parties and I think I had 10 birthday cakes yes but not all at once not all at once but you know spread around <laughs> <laughs> and of course in Malaysia they always they don't just give you a feed of uh, they also pray yeah and uh, so they have a kind of gathering round and pray and so one particular brother said, Lord, keep him preaching till he's a hundred at least. <laughs> so, uh, who knows? Um, I, we were in, we, we were in China, um, some years back and, uh, one of the brothers in the meetings who came to the meetings was a, a businessman, Chinese businessman, who lived, well, in Seattle, but worked in China. And uh, he said, can we take you to the airport? Can I take you to the airport? I've got a car. So that was great. So he picked us up, Julian. We were driving to the airport and he said to me, um, have you ever heard of Stephen Kong? <laughs> and I said, yes, many, many years ago, I... I spoke in a conference with Stephen Kong. Actually, um, Fred may have been there. Um, uh, it was um, in the great big building. You remember the great big building? I've forgotten what it's called now. Um, you know, but uh, I said, is Stephen still alive? And to this brother who was, uh, and he said, oh, yes. I said, he, I said, well, he must be very old. He said, oh, yeah, he's about 102. <laughs> and um, he still stands up and preaches for an hour. And he's just married his third wife. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Stephen Kong, if you're interested, was one of Watchman Nee's young workers. Isn't that remarkable? So Watchman Nee, if some of you, I certainly was helped by Watchman Nee's writings very early on, um, back in the early 60s, normal Christian life and so on. Yeah, so, you know, that, so, and I recently heard that he's still going. So he must be 105 or something by now. Um, there you are, what the Lord does um, with us and can do. So 
Amen. It's a wonderful thing, by the way. Um, in the book of Revelation, you probably know that in the 11th chapter, mm-hmm. there is the record of the two witnesses, the two prophets that prophesy. And one of the wonderful things about them, we could take them as one of the pictures of the church. Um, well, this is what's said of them, that uh, when they had finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. Mm-hmm. And their dead, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I just made this comment, you notice that the beast uh, could only kill them when they'd finished their testimony. Uh, in other words, the, the they had a duty to perform, they had a testimony to bear, they had a word from God to bring, and they could not be overcome by the beast until it was finished. And I think that that's what we all should have in our hearts, that um, our times are in God's hands, not the beast's hands. Our times are in God's hands. And if you know this the record in the 11th chapter of the Revelation, they laid in the streets for some days and then they rose again. And of course, you appreciate that when their testimony was ended, uh, their, they were killed. That was their body was killed. They were not killed. You are not killed. I am not killed. Um, and that's, it's wonderful. You can really be blessed by that. I hope that'll encourage someone here that you have a testimony to bear. And I think that that's one of the things about these meetings. Um, we began the first one was the 30th of August. Uh, uh, the reason I know that is I look back in my diary. I keep last year's diary along with this year's. I'm rather old fashioned and I write a little sort of journal diary of every day. So I knew what happened last week and um, who came, who didn't come, who, what this happened and the other thing happened. And it was 30th of August last year that we started this series. And I definitely had a, a, a burden from the Lord to declare, to bear testimony to the true church. And Mark and I talked about it and Chris and one or two others and thought that this was just something to declare, not just for us, but of course, for anyone else who might listen. Of course, at that point, I had no idea that there would be a YouTube channel and all that kind of thing. 
um, so affording some other people an opportunity to hear because I'm aware that some people don't read and they don't know what to read. Rather difficult with reading because you go into a Christian bookstore, there's so many books. You go to a secondhand bookstore and you find shelves in a, in a religious uh, section. And um, I, I recall writing uh, way back now, nearly 30 years ago, and speaking on it in one of the Bible and Prayer Weeks in Australia, um, I wrote short bios of about 700 authors, and it was produced in a small book uh, to, tr to try and help people. And I know people who would take that to the, to the bookstores to have a look um, as they were going through the shelves of second-hand books. And uh, I tried to sort of say, because it, not everybody has time to read. And, um, you know, things need to be spoken. A testimony needs to be born. To, and um, I recommended, I think, maybe last Sunday, was it, about the Pilgrim Church? That book, I think we... We recommended that book by, um, what's his name, Broadbent. And, um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Mark's got a copy. And um, there it is, The Pilgrim Church by E.H. Broadbent, which gives you some idea of our brothers and sisters through the centuries, mm -hmm. as much as it can be found out. And we can be encouraged by that. And, you know, Certainly in time to come, I hope that I will be able to add a few more um, messages about the church because it's organic nature, um, it's living nature, uh, the headship of Christ, um, you know, the wonder of the church, the beauty of it in his eyes. And But tonight, these thoughts... Some questions have come uh, that I think are very pertinent, and I want to say a few things about them and a few other things, and then throw it out for comments. That's what I would like to do. Uh, certainly not take the whole time. And the questions that came were very practical. For instance, um, if I prefaced it, by saying, you, you realize how, how dominated we've become in the last 120, 130 years. Language has been psychologized. Um, you know, the words we use, it's getting worse. So that the church is using the world's language to endeavour to express things uh, that are impossible to be expressed properly by the world's language. For instance, I will take one word, um, and I mentioned this at lunchtime meeting today, um, the Bible talks about the wonderful realm of communion 
the wonderful work of God in bringing us into living fellowship with the Lord. Fellowship, communion. Nowadays, people will not use that word, those words. They will talk about relationships. Relationship is an inadequate word Mm -hmm. to describe fellowship with God, communion with God. And this is just one word that I comment about. Communion is between beings that can freely communicate. As we were coming out of the meeting or going to the meeting this morning that Mark mentioned, there was a gentleman with two dogs, one of them on a lead, which was well extended. And there was one of the dogs who'd gotten loose and was running rampant. And he was the gentleman was thoroughly irritated by this and was screaming at the top of his voice at this uh, naughty dog to come back, which finally it um, decided to do after it had finished smelling just about everything in sight. And, um, you know, that man has a a relationship with those dogs, but he doesn't have communion with them. That's important that we grasp. Very important. You know, communion. God, when he created man, he, hallelujah, he made man in his image. He did not make man an angel. He did not make man a dog. He did not make man canine or feline or whatever else you want. But he made man in his own image. And part of that reality is that he gave to man the same faculties, faculties by which communion could take place between himself and ourselves. And again, I mentioned at the lunchtime meeting, and I will mention it again, even though Mr. Wesley, I think it was Charles in this case, wrote, Sing choirs of angels. You will not find anywhere in the New Testament where angels sing. Um, singing seems to be something that goes with that which God granted to man. Your your translation may say the angels sang, but if you look in the original, you'll find that they said, they spoke, they said, they said. As though harmony and so on and uh, melody and rhythm, the things that make up music are something that God put into man. It's very wonderful to be human. And you appreciate, all of us must appreciate that the devil is called a dragon. And when Jesus, and this is worth thinking about, you understand that sin's workings in different people 
causes them to begin to manifest certain bestial qualities. So that when the Lord Jesus was told about Herod, Herod, Jesus did not say Herod. He said to those who came to him, go and tell that fox. Go and tell that fox. Sin in that man had emerged in a certain characteristic and connection with a certain beast. And you understand that when you think of politicians and kings and people in power, you in Canada, in the United Kingdom, in the United States and in high places, and you understand that this is one of the reasons why the church made in the image of God, uh, brought through salvation into a likeness to God, will be hated because it is the intention of the devil mm -hmm. to bring man down into the kingdom of beasts. And these things have to be understood very, very clearly by us. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. And those principalities and powers have found a resting place, a working place in this world and in this world of men and women. And it's a remarkable thing to reflect upon this. And so everything, and this is something that the church has not understood in the last hundred years, particularly, all the whole of this world lies in wickedness. That's what John said. And what book did he say that in? He said it in the first epistle of John. What chapter did he say that in? Chapter five. And how does he finish the chapter off? He says to the church, keep yourselves from idols. Idol Jesuses, images of Jesus. So the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Moses went up the mountain called by God there to receive the pattern and the name of God and bring it to the people. And whilst he was up there, the high priest Aaron had prostituted himself to the will of men, the will of lustful people, and they ended up behaving like beasts because they turned Jehovah into a beast made of gold that looked like a replica of something out of Egypt, one of the gods of Egypt. That's what happened at the foot of the mountain because there was no revelation in Aaron's heart, no holy fire burning within him. And he gave way in his leadership of the nation to their will and to their idea, and he turned, he, he, he told them to take the earrings 
from out of their ears because that was what was wrong with them. Their hearing was bad. They lost their spiritual hearing. They were dull. Earrings out of their ears. He said that he threw them into the fire and out came this calf. Would you believe it? You see, but of course, you know, if you and I throw our deafness into the fire, you will discover that you will end up with an idol Jesus. Because all, look at the world and it will corrupt everything. Look at the world, go into the world. It will corrupt the music in church. It will corrupt the life of the church. It will corrupt just about everything in the church. And these, of course, are very serious things to say that some of us don't really want to hear. But you see, the church is the Lord's possession in the the Lord's place. This would be true of theology. This would be true of doctrine. You remove the spirit from the word and you end up with what is dead. Um, One of my favorite poems since the late 1960s is a poem that's called The Incarnate Word by a a Scottish poet from the highlands of Scotland. His name's Edwin Muir. I think he died in 1957. I'll read you a little bit, uh, quoting it, because he's talking about doctrine. He's talking about churches. He's talking about what's happened in Scotland in particular. He's generalizing, of course, but the the poem's called The Incarnate Word or The Incarnate One by Edwin Muir. And this is how it goes. Some of you won't grasp this so well, but I'll do it anyway. It's the picture starts in Scotland, the windless northern surge the seagulls scream and calvin's kirk church crowning the barren bray that's a a big hill the church on the hill the building on the hill i think of giotto the tuscan shepherd's dream That's a picture. Giotto was an Italian painter. And uh, Christ, man and creature in their inner day. So what's that all about? He's suddenly thinking a contrast. Giotto was one of the first Italian painters that painted with perspective and relief. And one of his first paintings was of Christ, man, and creatures. And in his painting, he revealed the inner things, the inner things. So he's in contrast. He says, whatever's happened to church, it's got big, it's like this great big building up on this barren brae. And what has ever happened to perspective, to the inner life? And then he says this, how could our race betray 
the image and the incarnate one unmake who chose this form and fashion for our sake. So, you know, he's, he's understanding that the race has betrayed the treasure of inner life in God. The image and the incarnate one unmake. He chose this form and fashion for our sake. He became man so that we would know him. And we are turning him into, and this is what the word made flesh is here, made word again. Did you get that? The word made flesh is here, made word again. Just word again. A word made word in flourish. An arrogant crook. See there King Calvin with his iron pen. And God, three angry letters in a book. And there the logical hook on which the mystery is impaled and bent into an ideological instrument. I won't go on in the poem, but you've got enough there. God becoming angry letters in a book and there the logical hook. You know, it just becomes words, words, words. And this is what I mean by um, something that is... It had happened in the Lord Jesus' day. When he came to this earth, you know that he had his greatest wrestlings with the Pharisees, with the scribes, with the teachers, where everything had become uh, theologized and the inner had been taken out, the quickening of the Lord, the headship of Christ. And this has a bearing very, very much on, and I'm sorry to use this phrase, how we do church. Sorry to use that phrase. (laughs) Because here we are, we're doing church. So we're beginning to go astray. Um, the psychologizing of words, the theologizing of words. There can be without Christ. So here's the questions that came, and I think they're very pertinent, very helpful. Well, what about children in church? What about When uh, a house meeting, people want to come to it and people, it gets too big for a room. Mm -hmm. Do you go into a hall? If you go into a hall, it changes the dynamics. You would possibly want to find a hall with a bigger room. 
show them meeting. And these are very relevant questions, very relevant, for which I have no answer than this. Um, The church is a living thing with Christ its head. Learn that with all your heart. Learn it this year. Learn it this year in your circumstances. Hang upon God and let Christ be the head of the church. Do not seek for some practical... Uh, What did I hear about this week? Everything should be 72, 12, 3. 72, 12, 3. I hadn't come across this one before. You see, but Jesus had 72. Then he had a close 12. Then out of the 12, he had three. Well, the underlying principle is actually quite good. But to make it a system will be death. It will be death. And it will be a death to those who practice it. It will shrink their ministry. It will shrink their dependency upon Jesus. It will shrink their freshness of walking with Christ day by day, week by week, looking to him, dependent upon him, and they will depend upon the system that they have adopted and they will travel with it and apply it. You must not depart from John 15. You've been ordained to bear fruit. Every one of us. We've been ordained to bear fruit. And how do you bear fruit? Jesus said the criteria, everything depends on you being a branch in the vine and abiding in the vine. And this is where the great challenge is all the time. This is where the great challenge is all the time. Bernard, you must abide in me and my words abide in you. You know the scripture, don't you? Uh, let's, let's just look at it very quickly. Um, because here lies the heart of everything. And this is part of the reason why the early church was so fruitful. It was because of their leaders. It was because of the twelve and others that heard the twelve. And they 
had heard Jesus and they had been through, I was going to say, hell and high water. Um, you know, something I want to preach on someday is launch out into the deep. we got so much shallows. And it's when you launch out into the deep at God's command, the first thing you discover is how fruitful he is and what a sinner you are. That's what Peter discovered. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me. He found out that Jesus knew much more than him. Even though he'd been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything, what do you know, Jesus? And these are wonderful things. And in, in the 15th of John's Gospel, Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, nothing. Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Well, I want to give you my testimony throughout the years since I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. Jesus has been talking to me. That's what I want to say. I'm not saying I've heard voices. I'm not saying that. But Jesus has been my living companion by the Holy Ghost. I wish I could say to you that I had walked perfectly and obediently, but I want to say this, he's never stopped talking to me and quickening me and shoving me sometimes back onto the right path and out of my folly. But it's been a living relationship. I've never in the ministry, in the service, in the church life, been on automatic pilot. But dependent, 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 learning, having to humble, having to accept his rebuke, having to be shut down at times. Legitimately, according to his will, accept the limitations as well as the opportunities. He has made me tick. 
he continues to make me tick. I do not think I am abnormal. I think that this is what Jesus is talking about for every one of you who is listening to me. Whether you feel that you have a particular chosen role uh, as a minister in the church or whatever, I believe this thing is true for every one of us, that Jesus died to remove from us the sin that so gripped us and corrupted us and made us dead so that legitimately being justified by his blood, we could be regenerated by his spirit and made alive so that all our powers could come into wonderful fellowship, communion, communion with God by the Spirit, through the Son. We were grafted into Jesus the vine, uh, who himself is rooted in the Father, from whom, bless he's the fons divinatus, He's the fountain of life, the blessed father. And, you know, of course, there was never a time when the father was not the father. Because in his fatherhood, the son ever is as eternal as the father. And all of this wrought in the spirit, the eternal spirit. You know, and this is the wonderful life we've been brought into. So, Bernard, apply this to what do you do with children <laughs> in the meetings? Abide in Jesus and let his words for now, for this time, for these months, abide in you. What do you do about meeting rooms? whether they're too small or too large, or whether you should divide up. You know, we've got 50 people, we're too big for the house. Do we try and divide up into two <laughs> groups? You know, well, let Jesus' fresh words abide in you, every one of you. Amen. I think when we started in one place many years ago, I will tell you how we began. God was, we, he'd quickened us. The sap was up in my heart. The sap from Jesus was up in the hearts of young men and young women. And we were thrown together. The house was packed, and we allowed it to be packed until it was uncomfortable. This, this is nothing to do with whether our meeting suits the children. This is all to do with the fact that the parents are dynamic in God. 
That's the thing. If you are real in God, your children will sense it. And if you're a hypocrite at home, they will know it. They will know it. But the secret to the children is the parents. That the parents are abiding in the vine. I know that there are difficult children, easier children, and children go through this and children go through that. But the Lord, the living Christ, loves the children. So when the children are in the meeting, don't try and bring everything in the meeting down to the children's level. Let the blessed living Lord Jesus quicken you to bring something that, for he knows how to speak to all. You may think this idealistic, but uh, let the little children come to me. That's what, that's what Jesus said. Let them, where they, the disciples were saying, now let's separate them out. You know, don't let them come. You know, very, very wonderful. Very wonderful. And so as you apply this and you think about um, those when we first began, and the Lord, I was listening, my wife and I were listening to Jesus, our head. We were abiding in him. And he said to us, move. Now, up until that point, I had been the only one who would bring anything much from the scripture. I will tell you how I started so that you men will not be in the position where you think, you know, if you are in love with Jesus, brother and sister, and you will read his book. And he will tell things. He will say things to you. He will quicken a verse to you or two verses or three verses. And he will give you something and it will live in you. And when you get to the meeting, you will want to share that. And I'll tell you how that church for the first year or two survived. Me sharing something quickened to me by Jesus and uh, I would share it, and it took 10 minutes, and it was alive. It was alive to me. It was alive to them. We had no rule that message should take 30 minutes or an hour. I know one fellowship that has been killed, and I mean that by the fact that the pastor, the leader, had been told by the man who pioneered the church that the pastor should preach an hour. And so the pastor preached an hour. And he had something to say for 20 minutes and then bored everybody out of their brain for the last 40 minutes. And in the end, he forced the young men to try and fill an hour. Everything comes out of a living communion with the Lord. And, you know, if we've got this, you know, this is why, you know, we must know him. We must. And these things 
as I say, I, 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 they need to be declared clearly. And life begets life. And vision begets vision. And vision, it is no good me preaching vision that God gave me 50 years ago. That very thing that he gave 50 years ago, that seeing needs to be quickened fresh in 2021 so that it is declared utterly new, so that even things old come out in new ways. The good scribe out of his treasury. And so I offer to you no system. You know, and I think of this very relevant. What do we do about when the the meeting is outgrowing the meeting place and other people want to come. Oh, Lord, give us in the churches leaderships gifted with discernment so that they quickly begin to discern where fledgling gift is growing in the hearts of other men and women and can encourage it to growth so that meetings can proliferate where the life is springing. And, of course, this brings responsibility to all of us, doesn't it? You know, you know, this is one of the things. There's such a selfishness in the churches today. Oh, we move churches just like that. You know, because we don't like the, the children's ministry is not, for, you know, this that we wanted. And there's no Bible class for the young people and all these sorts of things, you know. And it, it, it smacks of a deep, uncrucified selfishness. You know, people with their preferences. I like this. I like that. I like the other. We want this. We want that. Mm. Oh, brothers and sisters, you know, uh, when we look in the, in the blessed New Testament, we find that the, the apostles are writing that God joins the body together. God hath ordained in the church. God has done this. Can you see, even from what I'm saying, I love it. I've always loved the way Jesus says, look at the lily. Just look at it, will you? You know, he says consider, doesn't he? It, it, it means fix your attention carefully upon. It's a, it's a word of concentration. Look at it. <laughs> and he says, look at it. Oh, Solomon, with all his manufactured glory, was not arrayed like one of these. That's all there was to it. Hallelujah, Lord. You know, and when he talks about the church, he doesn't say, you have a CEO, and you have a this, and you have a that, and you have a board, and you have blah, 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 blah. That all comes out of the mechanistic world. That's where it comes from. And everything that he does is to promote dependence upon himself, to hear him, to go to him, 
O Lord, to put in your heart the divine must. Well, that's what I got. I must be. I must go to that meeting. I must go and care for this person. I must go to that hospital. I must love that sister. I must love that brother. It wasn't duty. It was coming. We must be hospitable to one another. We must. It, it all comes from him. The sap gets up. You know, you must do your students' Zooms. You know, you know, you must, as long as there's one who wants to listen, you know, or you're, you know what I'm getting at. You must gather in the house. You must. Um, isn't it wonderful? It's his heart. You're his body. You're joined to him. You must kiss one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> you must Pray for those who will allow you to pray. Where were we? Looking at a piano. I was trying to buy a piano uh, a few weeks ago. We went to see a piano in Torquay. And it was a rather beautiful berry piano, which is an English make. They were a poor make. Um, not very good, but they made some very beautiful bodies for their instruments so you could be <laughs> but we went and saw it and the poor lady wasn't she dying and I played the piano for a few minutes and you know I knew it wasn't what we were looking for and we got to talk to the lady and she was a very sad lady sorry she had Emmy and you know, and uh, you know, we just, I just, we just loved her. And I said, is it all right if we pray for you before we go? And I, she was absolutely amazed. I held her hands and I just prayed with her and blessed her and went on our way. You see, well, where did that come from? And that's what we've got to enter into. You see, uh, this kind of heart, this will set you free from worrying about your carpet in your house <laughs> or your furniture. <laughs> you know, well, you, you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I've been in situations where there was ideal houses to be used, but people were kind of anxious. Oh, dear, oh, dear, I don't want people trampling over and I'll have to clean the toilets afterwards. <laughs> I don't know. And you think, oh, Lord. <laughs> and... um uh, it's it's wonderful when you begin to see. So the Lord Jesus has a way through it in fledgling churches. He he he's able to give gifts and ministries and to raise up things from small beginnings. Do you know? Oh dear, you know the best way is Jesus's way. You know, the best way, and the best way is to grow small. I, I think of North America now, and my mind is thinking of that growing season for those amazing corn plants, maize. 
you know, the corn in the Midwest. And Mm -hmm. it's 13 weeks from sowing to reaping. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's an amazing thing to me. These tiny little seeds they put in. And 13 weeks later, the plants are, are taller than me. And uh, some of them seven foot tall. And you think, oh, Lord, your ways are wonderful. Well, that's how it should be with you and me. You know, this is where even going to a Bible college can do you harm because it makes you prepare in the wrong kind of way. The great preparations of men like dear old Martin Lloyd-Jones were in his study before God. You know, and Campbell Morgan, and they were men of great intellect, not like some of us. You know, but they were before God. They were before God. And, you know, I I want to encourage you in in this way. And, you know, could you tell me a, a chapter where Jesus speaks about the church, the only chapter where he particularly does speak about the church. Um, can you think of it, the verses in the Gospel of Matthew? Can you can you think of that? Yeah. And it, it's the 16th chapter. I'll take you there. And, you know, I know that you know these things, or we've been through, <clears throat> or you've read these verses before. But you will all recall how um, the Lord Jesus, verse 13 of chapter 16 of Matthew, he's up there in Caesarea Philippi. Now, you appreciate that that has a meaning. Mm-hmm. The, the name Caesarea has its roots, obviously, in the Caesar and the Roman Empire, one of the most cruel and systematized empires that had ever existed. And there he is. And he asks this question about himself. He asks his disciples, whom do men say that I, the son of man am and uh, the disciples say well their opinions are this and that and the other that's what they think there no one's clear no one's clear no one's clear some say that you're Elijah some say you're John the Baptist some that uh, you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. No one's clear. No one's clear who you are. Then he said to them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? And of course, the famous confession of Jesus, of, of Peter, as to who Jesus is. And if you look in the other Gospels, it wasn't just Peter, but Peter voiced it the most clearly. He had arrived beyond speculation 
and beyond opinion. And Jesus discerned that, that something had risen up within Peter that was far deeper, came from a deeper source, a higher place than opinion, an idea. Because Jesus spotted it straight away. The Father has been revealing to you, Peter. The Father's been working in you, Peter. And the others said the same thing. Very important. The Father. It it had come from much deeper place, much higher place than suggestions and well, discussions, and I hope I'm putting things clear because I tell you there's much in the churches that we meet that are are simply the results of discussions and opinions and suppositions and ideas and notions. But when you hear something that's coming from revelation from a young man's mouth, I'll tell you about a a Baptist minister who came to our church when we were in the Reading days. And uh, he'd been invited to preach and he brought four young men with him. They were all probably under 25. And he got up to speak and he said, well, all five of us are going to speak. We meet when we know we have got someone to preach, to, to, to an invitation to preach, we meet on Wednesday, we seek God's face and we ask him to show us and he burdens us with a chapter and this week it's James chapter 1 and we're going to speak and so so and so is going to take the first three verses the next and so it went for 40 minutes and he said i'm going to finish so each of these young men spoke for 10 minutes and as i listened i could hear one of those young men who had something that came from a deeper place than studying of texts of scripture It came from a higher place. It had the mark of revelation about it. And uh, afterwards, of course, I went to encourage them all. But in particular, I encouraged that young man. And I said, God showed you that, didn't he? It wasn't just the result of just analyzing the scripture and he said yes and he said when i listened to you earlier in the meeting i heard something as well and it's the spirit you see the father reveals and that's what the father had been doing and you have to confess what the father's revealing to you it doesn't come to you This is what, and you know how Jesus talks to Peter now, don't you? He says, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
on this rock, thou art the Christ, but it's not thou art the Christ that's the rock. It's thou art the Christ revealed in hearts by the Father. It's the Father bearing testimony to the reality of the person and the power of Christ in the heart. That's what had happened to Peter. And Jesus said, upon this rock, the church will be built. And I mentioned mighty men like Martin Lloyd-Jones a man of great intellectual astuteness, a diagnostician, a, a mighty preacher. You see, but that blessed man, he had received revelation from the Father as to who Christ is, what Christ has done. Hallelujah. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? It's upon this rock. This is what put rock puts rock in you. It's that work of the Father. You know, the totality of salvation, if I may put it this way, is a combined work of Father, Son, and Spirit. We touched on this this morning in the morning meeting. You know... Just one aspect of it. The Father draws you. How wonderful. Many of you have been being drawn by the Father from when you were first aware that you were an individual being. You were sensed you were being drawn. And it's Jesus that calls and says come to me the father draws to the son and the son calls you and then the blessed spirit convinces and convicts you jesus said these things in the gospel of john john of course that gospel says these things because it's the gospel of the heart of things it's not simply the gospel of objective facts but it's the gospel of the heart of things. And, oh, the Father works to reveal. And upon this rock of Christ, I will build my church. And if you wanted to do a sermon, why not just emphasize, I, my I will build, I will build my church, Christ, Christ, wonderful, revealed by the Father. And then you go down through the chapter. So you've got three C's in this chapter. First mention of three C's. Everyone got this clear? Three C's. First mention. Christ. First mention, thou art the Christ. Second C, church. First mention of church. Third C, first mention of the third C. You'll find it, you know where it is. 
here it is down here. From that time, verse 21, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed the third day. You say there's no sea there? Well, you know it's there, don't you? Cross. Now mark it clear, everybody, brothers and sisters, all of us, mark it clear, no working of the Father revealing the living Christ, no church. And no cross, no church. No church, if there's no cross. No church continuing if the cross is not in the body of the church. The cross has got to be in you, brother. Sister, the crucified life, got to be in you. It touches all that you have, all that you are. It touches your money, your your billfold. It touches your house. It touches your time. It touches everything that you have, but only if first it's really touching you, the crucified. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You know, <clears throat> and these are the first things from that time forth. That's what it says in verse 21. He began to talk about his cross. This is the first mention. And you can grasp immediately, I hope, that these things are so interconnected. If there be not crucified leaders in the church, the church will not be real church. It'll be an approximate approximation. It will. You know, the life, the life, the soul is in the blood. The soul, the life's in the blood. Don't go sprinkling it, drink it. That's what Jesus said. Don't go sprinkling it, trying to protect yourself with it. Drink him. <laughs> Isn't that what he said in John 6? You'll be protected if you drink him. You drink his soul, his soul for your soul. His life, your inner life. Isn't this wonderful to talk this way? I'm saying a lot that that really requires, you see, so man, elder in your church, your life's not your own. You see, you can't hold people at arm's length. You can't say my time's my own. 
I will do with it. My house is my own. I will do with it. The cross has got to go right through everything. Goes through you first. Cross has got to go right through the music. That's one of the ways, my brothers and sisters, why I can hear things in music. I can hear them. Because I hear the cross in some songs, not just the lyrics, but even the way the music is put together, even the relationship of harmony, uh, sorry, of melody, with harmony, with rhythm. You know, it's, it's wonderful. God has said to us, I haven't given you a system. I'm done with all that. Ah, oh, hallelujah. Can't you hear the heart of God saying, I did away with all the feasts and the, you know, I, I, I was so glad to get rid. I, I've given you the life. And this is the secret of the ongoing of the church. And if I tell you, if you are questioning in your heart, well, what do we do? Go to your head, the living Christ. He is made unto you. And I'll stop because we, boy, the time's gone like a rocket tonight. Um, I'll just take you into the Colossian letter. And, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful. If you want to do a little bit of a study in Colossians, just follow through Christ. Christ, 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 Christ. And, uh, oh, you know the hope of glory <laughs> in your church. You know, wonderful. So you've got Christ. You come to the end of chapter one. And you find that... Um, he, verse 18, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. <laughs> I mean, this is our testimony, by the way. You know, sometimes we have to say it. So, like, there's a number of marks on tonight. So, you know, you bear testimony. I mean, there came a time where I had to say it. I had to say, I I've been born from the dead. I'm alive forevermore. That's my testimony. He's the firstborn from the dead. The church is something that's come from the dead. And he's the beginning. Uh, in all things, he has the pre preeminence. Then it goes on, and let's just pick this out, that um, here it is. He's reconciled us in the body of his flesh, verse 22, through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. I guess we'd better get clear in our hearts. His objective, his purpose in every one of us is to present us holy, blameless. 
so you know what you're working towards not having the greatest band in the in in the in the town <laughs> well i i say that to myself because i've been through all this stuff because we used to play music years ago and you know i know what what ambition is and all the rest of it and then the Lord has to correct us and say, no, 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 the aim of all the life of the church, the aim that I have in all the ministry and all the gifts, well, it's, it's to be mission. No, no, it's to present every man holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. You just want to get everybody into his sight in that state where they can stay there and then he, he goes on and he says a little bit further down I, I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body. Amen. You know, I, if I just haul out these two little phrases, my flesh for his body, and just connect those two phrases together. My flesh for the sake of his body. My flesh for his body oh you say well what does this mean to me in our little corner oh let jesus be your head he will give you a love he will loose your tongue he will loose your actions more than they have been to date i promise you i promise you for he's alive and he's the head and if you're questioning, should we move to this? Should we move to that? Should we divide into two? He will answer you because here he is. Where is he to be found? Here he is, that he's right there. You know the famous verse, verse 27. The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ among you the hope of glory now if you will dig into the original language this is not individualistic you and i as westerners most of us are westerners we will immediately think in the individual christ in me that's how we will think about it christ in me but that's not what Paul's saying. He's talking to a church. So he's talking to the people who meet in Christo, in the village hall, or Liverton village hall, or Rora hall, or he's talking to those in Huntsville, in Kingdom Life, or in Life of Christ, or those who meet in, um, in St. Catherine's, or wherever or even you know it's true of your baptist church and i know that your baptist church maybe won't understand this yet 
but this is what the Lord wants to show the glory of this mystery that Christ is among you the hope of glory what can be more glorious for you know up the road from where we live uh, there's uh, what's it called manatree manaton or something there's a vineyard south facing slopes i think it's white wine they make there i don't know but i tell you the glory of that vineyard for that um what do you call a vineyard keeper of viticulture or whatever and the glory must be grapes rich crop of grapes must it on the branches among the branches and you know christ is among you oh jesus you're here jesus you're among us here you know christ among you you colossians <laughs> the hope of glory you'll come to fruitfulness oh blessed church in colossi you'll be glorious and he goes on in chapter 2 and he says don't let anyone rob you of this says it four times not in exact words four times don't let anyone rob you of this by by philosophies and by legalisms and this and the other christ your reward who isn't this a wonderful thing where it says here in the beginning of chapter 2 the mystery that of the father and of christ verse 3 in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge dear friends in huntsville your answer is in christ he wants to distill wisdom to you i believe it uh, i wouldn't say it unless i believed it and i believe it because i proved it i've seen that as we have traveled as churches through various things and we've cast ourselves upon him in humility and dependency and got beyond our opinions and our presuppositions and our preferences and to allow him to be the head over all things in the church he has granted to us an upspring of his will and we've known what to do now mark this brothers and sisters that the time is coming when even the well arranged and well ordered churches will be forced out of their comfort zones and those who will believe and pay the price will know more of this living christ in their midst leading them leading them through times of opposition and even persecution and you will know it you will know your christ this christ if those of you who are alone 
You know, I'm thinking now of the church here in Exeter that we were once much involved with. Christ loves you. Christ is yet there in the midst of that. Is he heard? Is he listened to? You know, he has a mind and will to distill. Well, I said I was going to open to questions, and uh, I haven't got there. I'm a naughty boy, Mark. Um, but uh, I hope these things are yes. absolutely thrilling to you. And you say, well, why are you saying these things to me? I haven't got any hope in the church I faithfully go along to. Oh, you can pray. And he or she who prays and longs before God with a few words coming from the deeps of their hearts, who prays from the basis of revelation. You see what he's after. Your prayers carry weight. And the Lord hears them. And they are as incense to him. Hallelujah, you're on side with him. These things must happen. These things must happen. In one way, every church is a branch in the vine. Every church, every church, a single branch. Some of you have seen those massive vines. One great thing going up so thick and gnarled and old and then spreading out from it. We had them in our garden in Australia. Branches spreading out like a vast canopy. And because I knew nothing about it, they weren't so fruitful. But if I'd have known how to properly prune, but we have a father and he will come in the churches in North America and he will prune them. The branches will be pruned, cut back so that they should bear much fruit. And maybe this explains something of what's happening to some of us. So may the Lord help us. To cast ourselves before him. Cast ourselves before him. Oh Lord, you promised, I will build my church. And you can understand why he said that uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When it comes from the Father like this and you see and there's this rock inside you, the enemy will beat his swords to bluntness because he can't overcome. Hallelujah. The enemy won't overcome and neither will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know... The hellish states in human hearts, they won't be able to withstand that melting power of his word coming out of the mouths of those, the love that's coming out. It will melt. It will melt. 
it will get the victory. The gates of hell set up fast shut in human hearts will not be able to stand against when the Lord determines through you to love people, to speak through to them so that the smallest word uttered from that place in that timely way shall penetrate. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'm thrilled. Hope you are. Hope you'll go to him. You know, those of you who are wrestling, you know, I'm thinking of that dear brother who I love very much who wrote those questions about what do we do about children and getting big, getting small, renting halls, doing this. Uh, I hope at least I've been my usual unhelpful self. (laughs) No, I hope I've been helpful. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Hallelujah. Excuse my humor. <laughs> Mark, I'll shut up. <laughs> no, thank you, Bernard. That is, um, that is wonderful. I think, uh, I hope it resonates in all of our, in all of our hearts and, uh, you know, really thrills us to know that the church as a living organism with Christ as our head and, and to live in him and abide in him and to go to him truly and uh, you know so it's so glorious you know we 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 almost sometimes want systems or preferences and and yet we realize it's such a a shadow of the of the reality but it's challenging it's really challenging right uh, Right. uh, that we would have a, a real confidence that that he will speak that he will lead and I think of this, you know, as we learn of our, in our little meetings, uh, some of you may not know, I, I come from a background where I was a, a pastor in a Baptist church and everything was kind of mapped out. And we're just beginning to meet in a new way, much more open and uh, coming. And part of the, it's a big challenge to come with a confidence that the Lord will speak. Mm. Uh, the Lord will minister, the Lord will direct and uh and so on, and that's just in the meetings, but but it, actually, what you're saying here, but in everything, everything, we can have faith and confidence that He will lead, and when we need to make decisions about certain things, He He will direct, mm. and we cast ourselves upon Him. And so, uh, thank you for your encouragements and your testimony, and for calling us on, um, and uh, and um, we want to go on, and we want to enter more fully into what it means to be this true church so uh, bless you and uh, lord help us amen to to truly know christ as the living head of his church yes so uh it would be good to to spend some moments praying together uh praying for one another uh responding you know, whilst this is a corporate thing, the church is a, is a people together, of course, it's a challenge to me. Uh, it's a challenge personally to us, to each one of us. 
and uh, so let's respond together if a few would just lead us in in prayer that would be wonderful Uh, just unmute yourself and and lead in prayer that would be great Thank you. 